Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I was reading an old evangelical commentary this week who described the scene there in Isaiah in terms of saying, if you look up, the dawn is just beginning to break, and it breaks first on this highest point, so on the hilltop. And there you have a top of Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem. And you can see the, the light just beginning to, to pour over the rooftops and glint off of things in the city. Meanwhile, the valley down below is still shrouded in darkness. And so those in the valley look up, look up at that light. I suggested that there is a vision to think about as we read those words of Isaiah. And think about the lights that's shining. I think as well, though, about the effect of things with the moon as its face is set towards the sun. The face that is facing the sun is the one that, that shines as we see it. That which is turned away doesn't. And if you know that part of Isaiah, the previous couple of chapters have been some of the challenge to God's people. That even while they're embracing the externalities of his law, while they're doing the fasting and the praying, praying and the observe, observation of the festivals, they're not actually turning their hearts to him and opening their hearts to what he requires of them. So they go without food and they are miserable for it, but he says, is that really the fast I choose? Is it not that you deprive yourselves because you're sharing what you have with those in need? That you're actually making the sacrifice yourself, but in order to be available to the things I would do through you. There's particularly in chapter 58, out of which he comes with that word that if you would do these things, if you would set yourselves towards me in that way, then your light would dawn. Then you would have that exceeding brightness. Then the glory of the Lord would be upon you. And so there's some sense as we come into that chapter that now chapter 60, that we've got a city that is open to him. And this is the vision of the glory of the Lord shining upon that people. You might think about those words of Jesus early on in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And it is the striking thing about the vision that on the one hand, it sounds like here's the the city that's stepping up the people who are stepping into their own and they're garnering attention. People are focusing on them. They're receiving the glory and all of these gifts are coming. And the danger is that we're seeing even there them taking these things for themselves and themselves being the center. But the end of that passage, as we just read it, says that those who bear gold and frankincense, who are bringing them into the city, all of these gifts, shall do so proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The purpose of the light, as Jesus talked about, is not for those who are illuminated to be the center of attention, but for that light to be shining 
off of their lives and through their lives to give glory to God, to point people in His direction. We're to be filled with God's light that we may live and prosper in Him indeed, but also that we might give hope to those who have none and illuminate for them the pathway to the Lord. We know that it wasn't the light of the city that drew the wise men in, the magi, as they came on their journey. It was a a heavenly light. It was what they were watching in the stars beyond. And I think about that word that's early on in Scripture. I'm drawn back again and again to Psalm 19 in particular, about a witness that's there in creation, that's built into the very fabric of everything that God has made, a witness to who He is, and a light accordingly that shines. Psalm 19 opens, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So the Hebrew word there is translated as their line goes out into all the earth, which doesn't make a lot of sense unless you think about a string like a musical string and a stringed instrument that is being sounded and it's the vibration of the sound that goes out. And you think particularly about a frequency of that wave that's beyond what we normally hear with the ears, but you still know it, you still perceive it. Maybe because your dog is starting to howl or something, but a real witness that is there in the created order. The wise men themselves don't hear the words. They perceive things because they're studying the skies because they're looking at what's going on. I've reflected a little bit in the Annunciator this month, an older reflection on some of this, but about people often picture what the wise men saw as being just this bright star in the sky, this exceedingly bright star. But the strange thing about that is, why would they assume that a Jewish king was born just because there was a bright star? You get up, you look out, and oh, look at that. There's a bright star. There must be a Jewish king born. (laughs) Why would you jump to all of that? What is it that sets the scene for that? But also, there's no indication in the story that anybody else has really noticed it. When they get to Jerusalem, things are stirred up, yes, but it's not because everybody's looking at this star, this, this ball of fire in the sky. In fact, we think of the three wise men. But there are traditions that have brought the number up to as many as 12 coming in. And there's good reason to believe that they didn't just slip in under cover of night, three solitary figures with their their camel's hooves kind of damped down so that you wouldn't hear them. But rather they would have come in an entourage. They would have come in some kind of caravan. They would have created a stir riding into town. And they arrive in Jerusalem. Well, the star has directed them somewhat, whatever they've been looking at, but they don't know exactly where they're going. Where would you find a king of the Jews? Well, they arrive at the royal palace in Jerusalem. And to King Herod, that by itself stirs up things. Why are they at the palace? 
And when the word begins to leak out that they're looking for a, a king, a rival king, people know of King Herod. You can go back and read something of the story of, of his cruelty, of his extremities. I've put it in a, a song reflecting on it that they know when Herod's restless that heads will roll. We're told that all Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. This is not a quiet thing, them riding in. They've been studying the heavens. They need a little bit of earthly advice or what comes through the revelation given through the prophets. The scribes, the high priests can say, well, it's Bethlehem. That's what the scriptures say. That's where you need to go. But what were they looking at? What did they see to that point? I've mentioned a website that I find quite fascinating to look at, one that's on the Star of Bethlehem, BethlehemStar.com, that reflects a little bit more on movement of constellations and such. Maybe some of you are good at following the night sky. I've got a couple of those. You know, the Big Dipper, I know that one, and that's not its formal name. I notice when there's suddenly a brighter star in the sky or a different color. I really don't know the the movements of the stars. I'm not a mariner. Don't go sailing with me. But these are men who were studying. How long were they watching the movement in the sky? Constellations that move, stars that rise. We think about them seeing the star in the east, but the word that's used at that point can be read as at its rising. What are they watching? the movement of stars that have to do with kingship, things that they associate with the people of Israel, things that are happening in the constellation of Leo and the connection with that Lion of Judah. I don't know what all comes together. There's some sense that a brightness in the midst of that is not simply one star, but the conjunction of a number lining up together that create this brightness. But they understand things because they've Learn to hear this voice, to see the things that are being revealed in the created order. Again, I think about things that we look at that because we're not used to doing it or we're not trained in it, we don't know what we're looking at. If you look at an x-ray, somebody brings out the x-ray to show you what's going on and you look at it and you think, oh my goodness, that looks horrible. You say, well, actually things look clear. You don't know what you were looking for. Or some of you, this is a more recent thing. You've been looking at an ultrasound and you're showing your friends this little face that's there and they're saying, "Mm, well, I guess there's a baby there, but how do you make out all of that? How do you know what sex the baby is? All of those kind of things, those who are used to looking or are trained in the looking, see the things that we don't. What unfolds in the night sky? There's a mystery there, but there's a language being spoken, and these men follow. They're not simply astronomers who are just charting the course of the stars. There's a bit of the astrology that assumes that there's a connection between what's up there and what goes on here on Earth. But the astrology I'd warn you away from is that that figures that things are predetermined up there, what happens there, controls what goes on here, what sign you were born under predetermines things in your life. The church fathers, though, looked back and they said, what's going on on earth, the things that are 
that our God is doing, the creator of all of these bodies. When he does great things, they're reflected in the movements in creation. They look to things of the epiphany, but they'll also look to Calvary. And what happens as the sky grows dark and the great earthquakes strike? Notice at the foot of the cross, when these things are observed, the cry from the cross is in a context. But the centurion says, surely this man was the Son of God. Jesus himself had spoken of a witness that is there when he was told on the Palm Sunday to quiet down his disciples who are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, said if these were silent, the very stones themselves would cry out. St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, in the 8th chapter, begins to talk about what God is doing in us in Christ in the gift of his Spirit. He speaks of a witness that is in creation to the hope that God has built into all things. Yet, yes, there's a bondage to decay that comes, the effects of sin in the world, the things that are being pulled down by our sin, and yet the subjection to decay is one that is done in hope. The rest of the created order knows that God is at work, that he will not leave things this way, that they've not been created for this purpose, that all things will be redeemed. And so there's the longing that's described as being like the pain of the woman in her childbirth. It's the travail. It's a pain, but it's a constructive pain, the body getting ready to give birth. It's not the cancer. It's not the leading into death, but into new life instead. There's a witness there in the creation to this hope. Paul goes on to say, how much more? How much more? We to whom has been given the Spirit of God, to whom he's given that down payment, that beginning of the life, how much more ought we to be longing for that redemption? How much more ought we to be shining with that light? Creation's witness is not simply for itself. It's a light that draws others to the things of God. It's a light that shines because its heart is set upon the one who is the source of eternal life. We in our own lives are not so much to shine with the light that we can claim of our own, but the light that the Lord shines upon us and within us the gift that he gives as we're baptized into Christ, the gift of his spirit. Wonderfully, sometimes if your heart gets set in prayer, even in those times when you can't see that light yourself, sometimes even when you don't feel the consolations, as your heart is set on him in prayer, yet there is the light, his light that reflects, his light that draws others, that sometimes draws them to that point, that direction in which you're pointing. The wise men were drawn by a witness in his creation, by a witness that was in the heavens, a light that was there, whatever it was, whatever it looked like in the time that it shone. But as they were drawn and their faces and their hearts and their lives were set upon that light, they shone with the light. 
They pointed others to Bethlehem and the birth that was going on there as they went out. Their traditions about where they went and what they were able to pass on of this good news. There's even the tradition that says that towards the end of their lives, they in fact came to be baptized into Christ to meet the risen Lord. We likewise are called to turn our faces to Him, to be lights not just for ourselves, but that we might give light to the world. Epiphany is when we celebrate the light of Christ that goes out to the Gentiles, which is all the nations that are not Israel, all of those who didn't have the hope, who didn't have the expectation, not in their scriptures, not necessarily in the Word, although if you study other traditions, it's amazing how many go up and read things that were stirring in northern Canada, that were stirring amongst some of our native peoples. Some of the words about about a light that was coming, a, a good news that was coming, a Savior who was coming, an expectation that was created. Some of the fathers looked back to the ancient philosophers and said, there's an expectation here. We do well to go back and read them. They didn't see clearly that light, but they were pointed there. And they have things to help us in our own seeing and our own articulation of that faith. We know in the long run, though, that even as we're called to be the bearers of that light, to let the light shine, that as the light shone from the wise men, as we remembered last week, as we marked the holy innocence, that while that light was welcomed by many, It also exposed the demons at work in King Herod and his court. And there was a violence in what struck out and struck down the little ones in Bethlehem. You need to remember on the one hand that God was not thwarted, that he wasn't caught out, that the lives lost were redeemed in his hands and are in his care. The Holy Family was sent away and part of their preparation for the redeeming work was all in God's hands. We also need to remember Jesus' words that we are not to fear those who can destroy the body but not the soul, but rather fearing Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. At a time when He reminds us that Even the sparrows, not one of them, not one of those little ones, falls to the ground apart from the Father. And we're worth more than many sparrows. Even the hairs of our heads are numbered. We are in a world that often needs to be able to look up and to see the light that is dawning on the mountaintop, the the light of the Lord that is beginning to shine that has not yet reached those who are shrouded in the darkness. We need to be faithful in setting our faces, our hearts, our minds, our wills on Him, that His light might grow in us, that we might be lights for others. We might see that day when all the world is filled with His glory, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. Christ is the day spring, the dawn, the light which has shone upon us. Lives that are set upon him, hearts, minds, and wills filled with his light may give faithful witness to the world.
to draw all to Him, the Savior of the world. May we shine as His lights. May we be His faithful ones. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee.